that there'd be plenty of newspapers with plenty of different people controlling them, so that there's a variety of viewpoints, but there's a choice for the public. And you shouldn't be trying to turn this into a subsequent media circus. Uh, oh god! So, so <laughs> op-eds is a podcast exploring where our opinions and perspectives actually come from. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, let's refresh because I, I just feel like I, I was sort of I was typing on my computer. I wasn't really thinking. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. Okay, yeah, cool. Um, hey everyone, welcome to op-eds. My name is Coward Huntington. I'm an uh, the, that's my name. Hello. Hello, Coward. I'm Rachel. Hello. Hello, Rachel. And I am and? Zeb. Hi, Zeb. <laughs> yeah, <hi. laughs> uh, Op-Eds is a podcast exploring where our opinions and perspectives actually come from. Uh, it's kind of like a look into social and traditional media and yeah, where our opinions come from. Uh, so this is the first part of the show. It's separated into two parts. The first part, we sort of discuss the issue that we're going to talk about for that that episode uh, kind of freely without any kind of research behind it and, and try and sort of pinpoint our, you know, base of understanding. Then we go away and we split off in part two. We do like three different pathways of research and we come back and sort of see how opinion changes. How it's and different. we talk about – and we also kind of like educate each other on what we've researched because obviously yeah. we're not allowed to research with other, what other people are researching. So most of the time I just come and I'm excited to learn about it. I'm like, woohoo, tell me everything. Yeah, yeah, for guys. sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this week – This week I, I think is the big dog. Th- the big, <laughs> big dog. dog. We're there's doing a- Apex Gang, baby. When for I'm, those like, who don't in- know, because Apex I'm pretty sure is a cleaning product in America. Or is that oh, Ajax? Okay. No, that's Ajax. Sorry. That's Ajax. Yeah. Kill the momentum. <laughs> Apex, <darling>. Apex is <laughs> like, I assume it comes from Apex Predator. Oh, Apex yeah, is, right. a, yeah, a big old myth. It was a, it was a thing invented well, by, this is the, thing. by you the know, media. Living... No, 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 the word Apex. Yeah, why are we talking about the word Apex? We're not talking about Apex. Because I like to, it's I'm talking about, I like, For context. To, I like to break things down and build them I up again. I wanted to do a big intro about Apex. You have to, you have oh, to strip, strip you have your... To jump your, in with the <laughs> entomology of the word Apex. Rachel wants to strip it of context first. Get that context. Sorry, okay, Fine, For so those of you who don't know what the word Apex means, <laughs> <laughs> you would never possibly understand what Apex gang was <laughs> without this understanding. Game. This. Gang. Oh, darling. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Bees. Apex game. I'm like, what are we talking Context, about? Rachel. Think about it. You know you were doing an episode on the Apex gang. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you said it wrong. All right. Well. My intro has been steamrolled. We are doing <laughs> Apex Gang this week. We are talking about Apex Gang, which um, yeah, this 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 episode is essentially uh, the way I'm thinking about it is uh, something that you can send to your slightly racist uncles and aunties and parents yes. that believe yes. that there was these roaming huge gangs of uh, South Sudanese yeah. boys uh, rolling through the outer suburbs of Melbourne. Destroying cars, beating people up, robbing houses, all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's 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 madness. You know, when when I mm. first moved to Berlin and I'd get very very homesick in the winter, me and Matthew would do this thing where if we were feeling particularly homesick, we just go to Channel Seven News on Facebook and just read the, <laughs> as many comments as we could. And it's still it's still a narrative. People still. I believe was asked this about shit. it by our neighbour dead set like three weeks ago. 
That oh, it's insane. Ridiculous. So basically, to, to kind of really uh, summarize, after this one incident in Federation Square in Melbourne, this is my understanding anyway, where there was this sort of like pretty pathetic, like pu- pe- a bunch of teenagers pushing each other, basically. Yeah. <laughs> there was this yeah. kind of myth was created that there's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, which was uh, allegedly this gang apex, which seems to be in these, you know, racist, uh, like inner city Australian people's eyes, like, I don't know, like, like as, as big and, um, growing every day, like, like numbering yeah, in the super thousands organization of, 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 of black youths who are yeah, terrorizing the city. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some coordinated it, effort. It sort of got to the point where I feel like it's it sort of, at first I thought it was kind of synonymous with just racism, but it actually has become a kind of almost conspiratorial, like idea that like oh this was apex that was apex and like to the point that like it you know it was just like i remember reading one thing in particular at the time and this is going back a few years when this sort of began where there was like a it was a screenshot of someone talking about the african gang crisis um which doesn't exist by the way and she was saying like she was like oh i see these african gangs you you wouldn't understand if you if you lived in my neighborhood you would see the african gangs i see them every every week they're all over the place they they're sitting in the park they're cooking black Boys. Yeah, <laughs> cooking, cooking barbecues, <laughs> drinking beers. <laughs> so it basically, became this sort of this sort of fucking like. Uh, what did you? You had a good word for it the other day, Zeb. Um, like a cognitive game thing or something. Like what was it? What? Um, see a game. No, you were talking. <laughs> no, you were talking about it when it came to um, QAnon and uh, Britney Spears, like uh, the free Britney. You said it was called a an augmented reality game. Yeah. Uh... Maybe that's not quite what this is, but I feel like it's kind of like it just became this. Like any racist, like you know, person wandering around could just see some African refugees or people or whatever. And just and just sort of label it as like, oh, that's a gang that's and it's apex, apex. and apex. someone mm. someone did some graffiti on like a house in my street last week. It must be them. Therefore, you know, there is like it became this alternate reality almost. Yeah, but then, yeah, yeah, which got so out of so the the way that it happened was the the media kind of like invented this apex gang thing with the help of the police. It got way out of control. The media loved talking about it. I remember, I think it was Channel Nine. Um, Posted an article, or it might have been the Herald Sun. Posted an article, um, and and in their f- in the in the kind of like cover photo of the of the article, they had like these black boys on the back of a bus with their faces blurred out, and it turned out it was a photo of yeah. the Section Boys, the UK crime fucking group, <laughs> 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 who were quite famous at the time, <laughs> and so yeah. they'd somehow so- they'd sourced this photo of of some yeah some like. African gang out in Moravan that was actually on a bus in London, <laughs> and they they and they bl- like the 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 journalists blurred out the faces. The the section yeah, boys photo yeah, was yeah. not blurred, but um, eventually the 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 Victorian chief of police had to come out and say, "Look, Apex Gang is not real. It never was real. Oh, really? <laughs> we made the okay. whole thing up. It was all made up." And that's, I think that that's where the conspiratorial side of it was sort of born, which I don't think is, I, I, I kind of even hesitate to call it a conspiracy because I think that it was, right, okay. it was, it's just like the, the it's kind just of, racism. yeah, the, ver- like the, the reverberations of it still exist because like people didn't hear about that, you know, the chief of police saying yeah, it yeah. was fake. And which so, in itself is terrible. Yeah, that, yeah, that did not get enough course, coverage yeah, yeah. to <laughs> prove and say, sorry guys. I think that, yeah, there's a lot of that in this whole case because I, I know that another one of the things that happened was, at least I'm pretty sure that another thing that happened was 
The Herald Sun published a report um, of the crime statistics, and the guy who was looking over the crime stats um, missed a decimal point. He saw that uh, <gasps> that uh, Sudanese and uh, uh, Africans made up 14% of, of crime in Victoria, but the stat was actually 1.4% of crime oh in Victoria. Oh, my goodness. And so yeah, when yeah, that yeah. article comes out, it's front page of the Herald Sun, 14% of black of, of crime, like, uh, you know, like uh, perpetrated by, by African uh, gang members, you know, like Jesus. with a huge inference on Apex Gang. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, they have to have a you know like a little addendum retraction yeah but then of course that's going to be on page you know 16 and you know it's a tiny little thing and and so no one so no one understands that like it was never 14% it was 1.4 which is a fucking tiny amount much more representative of the amount of like (laughs) like African refugees that are like African but it's like I I, I sort of even struggle to think I know that there's some people who like adopt racism and go like oh well the statistics are there but I, I really think ninety five percent of these people are not like it's 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 like it's it's confirmation bias and and yeah. even if there wasn't yeah. any statistics to back any of this up they're just like and we're being quite like maybe we're being kind of light handed about this um but it is, like Australia is a deeply deeply racist, racist place <laughs> it and is, it's a horrible yeah. thing and like the way that uh I don't know like the way that people like. You know, it, it almost felt to me, and this is like my just unresearched opinion, but like this kind of like showing the face of like the racism that was always there, but it becoming kind of a media topic and giving racism more of a platform within tabloid yeah, media. I think, Maybe I think I'm Australia has a tendency to, to let the mask slip occasionally. I think the same thing happened with the yeah, Adam yeah. controversy in the AFL. Um, was a moment where it's like, oh, <laughs> that's right. We are a fucking very racist place. Awful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think Apex Gang was one of the most serious because yeah, like we're down here in Tasmania and people ask ask me about it and go, oh yeah, what was it like in Melbourne with all of those, what are those Sudanese? <laughs> That's oh really? Wild. Yeah, that's it's insane. Crazy. Like, that's wasn't there some horrible. some gang roaming around? Like, no, <laughs> it was not. <laughs> there never was. No, yeah. not at all. And then that just poses like the whole thing. Like even like my and obviously like internal racism is a huge thing. I guess still uh, anyway. But like my family, my whole Sri Lankan side of my family were convinced of that, and they lived out in the suburbs mm-hmm. where it was happening. And like they were worried that like my cousins were going to get involved because they were like Sri Lankans, and they were like, "Oh no, no, no! These boys could get involved in this situation." <laughs> and it was like a really mm-hmm. big topic in my family. Like everyone was so worried because it was like such a huge thing. And then yeah. I, I believed it. I was like, "Oh yes, there's gangs. There's, <laughs> there's people yeah, around. Right, yeah. This is so dangerous." And then I remember meeting Zeb because I met Zeb around the time where it was like kind of huge and then Zeb was yeah. like no 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 Rachel this is all lies 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 <laughs> and then I had yeah, to then yeah, talk yeah, to yeah. my and then it was just kind of this concept that I was ta- thinking about where like racism yes deeply seated in racism but then perpetuated by the media towards mm. non-racist people because non-racist people are going to read that and believe it because it's coming from the media and it's coming from yeah yeah credible news it's, sources. it's, it's a cr- it's backed up exactly and I think I read once a study uh that I'm really like a long time ago that was talking about the difference between kind of like um like uh, like a- Australian racism and maybe something like European racism or whatever where um the way that Australian like the way European or whatever racism seems to work is like it's very historically based and it's it's you know things that happened thousands of years ago that like carry on to this day well as Australian racism seems to be according to this study that I don't even remember where it came from 
um that like it's kind of like the 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 next every next wave of immigration like yeah. uh, from different countries and differently affected are the target of the majority of the racism and yeah. then a few a few generations in it's maybe like you know when you ever in, I'm in Australia and I talk to people from like I don't know like Vietnamese or even Italian origin and they talk about how uh what they faced when they came to Australia as opposed to now it's arguably like it gets pushed onto where whatever the next wave yeah, of immigration absolutely. is yeah. kind of oh, yeah. is the central yeah, it, it started yeah. off with like the Greeks and the Italians and then it became the uh, like Vietnamese and then the Lebanese and then the Indians and then the mm. and then the Sudanese and and yeah. yeah yeah but again like that's what I was kind of referring to as internal racism I guess because like each mm-hmm. and it's it's so representative of my entire family like they are very much like oh yes but we did this and we had it this way and it was so tough and it was so difficult and then they're like why are they complaining like it's not that hard now like why. And then it's kind of like they then um, project those fears and insecurities onto that fear of – what am I trying to say? Like, you know, like obviously Australians have this huge issue with immigration and like the fear of being uh, overtaken by like other cultures and that kind of thing and so scared Mm. of multiculturalism. And then even – all of the different cultures have kind of been brainwashed to think that as well. Like even like mm. immigrants as believe you assimilate that. into Australian culture, yeah. you end up adopting yeah, those Because yeah. you're forced to. Like my mum was yeah, like, yeah. she was forced to assimilate. And so she believes everything that the white Australian policy kind of told her to believe. And so now she, yeah, she yeah. is not really a big fan of immigration. And I'm like, mum, what the <laughs> fuck? And it's yeah, just, yeah, it's yeah. so baffling to talk to like, uh, first generation immigrants and their ideas yeah, about be that. really, really racist. Yeah, yeah, they can. <laughs> they strange. are. That exactly. was so jarring so when, I, when I first encountered that. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and that I doesn't know. seem right at all. But yeah, it's and so and like strange. I mean, and this might be a really dicey thing to say, but the, but I. I'm, I, I say this, like, based on, like, people I've talked to who work for, like, charity organizations, stuff like when I made, like, weird little films for them and whatever. And they would say a lot of the time that, like, if there is some correlation at all between, like, some kind of, like, crime or violence, it's, like, a, a, like a, a big part of it is, like, you're trying to integrate into a country coming from a completely different cultural background, which is not accepting of you at all economically or culturally or socially. And, like, you have a limited amount of options for like how to when there's no when you have no ability to assimilate then you do kind of become you do sort of have this feeling of like not being connected to the society so like it's like kind of like this catch 22 of like you're not allowed to assimilate because we won't let you but also yeah. why haven't you assimilated properly yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and, and you've been demonized for your lack of assimilation even though yeah. we don't yeah, want yeah, people yeah. actively reject you I know it's so strange. Yeah, yeah. It's so I find it so fascinating when I talk to my mum just about her whole ideas and like viewpoints on immigration and like her experiences as an immigrant. And I'm like I just I can't I just don't understand it. Like I cannot understand. But then that's also this whole thing about like minorities not understanding other minorities' oppressions. Mm. I'm like, yes, but the underlying problem is the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyways, exactly, exactly. Anyways. Well, so I think how, we should we're probably, going off topic we should figure out what, how we're going to do this. So, oh, yeah. Uh, okay, well, I guess in terms of what I want to kind of research on the topic of Apex Gang is I'd kind of like to go down like kind of what I was just mentioning about immigration and assimilation into Australian culture and kind of mm. how that – 
can create those feelings of um, isolation and um, can lead to... You mean to... like more more historically like... Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I think over like, say like over the past like 100 years and kind of how mm-hmm. those different immigration... Yes, different waves of immigration and migrant groups um, have assimilated into yeah, Australia. And responded to... Like and responded the, to the, the, at the at racism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that uh, I, I, I have, I've like, I was following this whole thing the whole time. And so I'm very happy to go and revisit some of the articles that were trying their very best to, <laughs> to propagate this bullshit <laughs> that like yeah, Zeb's taking was, a, the... was a thing at all in any capacity. <laughs> Zeb's taking the, taking the unsexy, <laughs> the unsexy. <laughs> it's very sexy for me. <laughs> I'm, Zeb's, yeah, I'm thank, looking thank at Tracy Grimshaw. <laughs> Hello, darling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I think I'm going to try and find as much sort of first hand accounting of like the experience of like these particular like uh, targeted groups like um, from different African countries about like kind of assimilation in Australia, the reality of it or something like that. Yeah, I think that'd be really good. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Right, well, uh, cool. I will uh, see you. <laughs> all right, guys. Will, I will see you guys in a I'll week. see you all. I'll see you all and, very uh, soon. Yeah. Cool he is. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye-bye. guys. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye. I think it'd be interesting if you guys listening at home, uh, if you could be bothered to uh, like pause this for a second and like think about what you know about this thing or even do a little bit of your own research and then kind of like go through this next section of the pod with us and uh, see how kind of like what we've come up with, uh, how that aligns with whatever you might have come up with. So yes, yes, if, if you're interested in doing that, then please do. And if not, it doesn't matter. We'll see you in like five seconds. But yes, if you have, if you do want to do that, pause now, pause now. <laughs> On this episode of Op-Eds, Zeb read articles by ABC News, The Daily Mail, The Guardian and The Age. He also read a report by the CMY. Coward watched the documentary Constance on the Edge, read the book Growing Up African in Australia, and listened to the podcast Savannah to Suburbia. Rachel read articles by The Conversation, ABC, New York Times, The Immigration Museum of Victoria. She also read studies by Digital Library Adelaide and interviewed with Colleen Morrow. For a full list of sources and show notes to the episode, head to www.cowardspace.com slash opheads. That's www.cowardspace.com slash opheads. <laughs> Baba booey. What do you do at the pub? What what happens at the pub? I want to know about the pub. I work in a bottle shop and at the bar generally. So he's a bar. Yeah, yeah, but come on, what's the what's the what's the vibe? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? It's a very very old pub. Very very old pub. Um, it smells fine. Uh, there's a lot of old regulars, old men. Man gets man gets angry and yells, and his teeth fall out. Um, <laughs> there's a bloke with dementia who comes in to buy wines. Um, wines. A, yeah, there's a kino there, which means that there's some gambling going on. Mm. Um, oh, very riveting, good. riveting stuff. Uh, <clears throat> my uh, one of my coworkers uh, thinks he may have found an old, disused brothel upstairs in the sea, in the attic. Oh, really? Oh, that's like interesting. An ancient colonial, in the pub. colonial brothel. Ooh. Yeah, drama. Oh. It's not drama. <laughs> it's just <Ooh>. scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no. There's I can't, actually, believe, I can't the, believe there's all this interesting stuff going on. And you're when I asked you how it was, you just said, "Yeah, it's a pub, make beer, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make it." Yeah, no. There's so a, the, in the courtyard. There's like a there's like a little shed thing with um shooting holes in it for um 
so that you can like hide in the big brick shed and then oh point your rifle out of the hole and shoot at whoever's attacking you. Thank God. Jesus, this is a very dramatic wild. place. Yeah. yeah, this is Tasmania. Tasmania has an extremely sordid history. I think it was uh, Robert Hughes put it very well when he explained that Tasmania, uh, in the uh, colonization of Tasmania, they exchanged the uh, the plow for the gun because farming was not easy here. And uh, oh my God, yeah, geez, hunting was very easy and that kind of set a precedent for why all of the indigenous people here were wiped out. So yeah, sad. well, yeah, down the stock. Well, my, my job's been a lot of a lot of high fiving, a lot of. You guys might think that drum and bass is dead. Drum and bass oh, and dub no. music is fucking flying at our speakers now, twenty four seven, seven a.m. Doesn't matter. It's time for some drum and bass. All right, okay. so let's uh, yeah, let's talk about Apex Gang. Um, yeah, okay. So Zeb, do you want to kind of kick us off with a little, with a little, uh, with a little, um, yeah, a little spiel? Yep, yeah, little, little explanation. So um, we've uh, uh, the way we're going to be structuring this chunk of the episode is um, I'm going to do a very very brief rundown of Apex Gang so that you all listening uh, will stay stay engaged with the subject matter and then we're going to pass it over to Rachel to talk about uh, uh, her research. Um, but yeah, so basically um, a very quick summary of Apex Gang. Yeah, and, and keeping in mind, we got like for the non-Australian uh, listeners, we got a lot, we got listeners that aren't Australian. So for the Australians who are like, yeah, we know this yeah, is yeah. for people who maybe don't come from Australia and need need a lot of context. Yes. So um, uh, back in 2016, uh, there was a riot at the Moomba Festival. Uh, it was a large brawl, kind of turned. People called it a riot. Um, and uh, with that, the like the Victorian Australian media kind of exploded into this African gang crisis, and uh, Apex Gang were at the kind of like forefront of that. And um, yeah, they were described as a massive gang of Sudanese youths, kind of existing in uh, Melbourne's southeast, built up mostly of uh, um, South Sudanese and Pacific Islanders. Uh, yes, and this is this is obviously like just the that that's the that's the media version of Apex yep. Gang, and I think later you'll get into like the reality behind we will that. Delve, we'll delve. Yes, in. yes. So yeah, if anyone's delve pulling out in. their hair, that's that's the media media idea. But yeah. yeah. So yeah, I guess the purpose of this episode was partially to talk about um, Apex and the African gang crisis. Big quotation marks around that. <laughs> um, but then uh, also to just talk about uh, migration in Australia. And mm. so, yes, Rachel's going to yes. do that. Passing <laughs> it on to me. Yes. So I guess, uh, in t- I guess like the best way to kind of understand in any sort of cultural gangs, quotation marks, is to discuss kind of Australia's perception and reaction to immigration in general because I think that's where a lot of these issues come from and a lot of these concepts – you know, get blown out of proportion because the majority of Australia is racist <laughs> and they don't like immigrants. Yes. So <laughs> if all of those listening think, oh, no, Australia is such a great country, you're wrong. We've you're got a wrong. lot of problems. We've got a lot of that issues. Is, that is that is a thing that floats around. I've noticed a lot of people like, it's, a, it's the last progressive place on earth. Like, no, <laughs> yeah, no sure. you're all wrong. Yeah, based on the people that you've met, maybe. <laughs> no, but even all of my American friends, they were like, no, Australia's so great. I'm like, Australia's fucking racist. Like... No, yeah, yeah. that's We've what I mean by people so you've issues. met, like people like our bubbles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm curious to know whether, like, like the. I'm, I'm sure this is what you're about to just get into, but I think the question for me is like, does is there a difference maybe 
it's a hard thing to to note, but like the difference between maybe like colonial racism, 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 and immigration based racism, and like when that was sort of bred in Australia, whether it was always inbuilt to white Australia, you know, obviously, like, yeah. You know, well, acknowledging I guess, that, like, yeah. <clears throat> based on my research, it actually was not necessarily inbred. Like there was. Obviously, racism inbred into colonial Australia because Mm -hmm. of the Indigenous population. But in terms of, like, immigration to Australia, this is what I found quite interesting because I didn't really know this. But it was – so after, like, the World War – World War II, a lot of um, different cultures and nationalities and races moved to Australia during, like, the 40s, 50s and 60s. And this was, like, really well received. Like, everyone was, like, super happy. Everyone was very grateful that all of these people were moving to Australia because it boosted economy. And it was, you know, it wasn't necessarily skilled workers that came to Mm. Australia. It was actually just, like, anyone could move here and build a life. And, like, a lot of them were labourers and a lot of them were coming here to kind of just, like, it was, like, a, a community sense of helping out. Like, everyone was kind of in the same position after the war of trying to build an economy and a society yeah, yeah. that everyone felt like they had a place to kind of be and feel welcomed. Um, this is, like, southern southern European people mostly, or it's just a range yeah, from, like... Yeah, so a lot of them were uh, Europeans. And Italians and Greeks. Yeah, Italians, Greeks, Maltese. Latvians. Um, and I... And I guess because, like, uh, like, uh, like, you know, I think the first, like, from what I know, like, you know, Ch- Chinese uh, immigration in the during the gold rush, which was met with like a lot of racism. But I guess, like, was this the first time in Australia where people were displaced, like refugees, more than uh, people coming from China to, like, I don't know, like, uh, maybe I'm way out of line here. I don't really know anything about the gold rush, but like something about, like, you know, we're coming to Australia to get you know, make success through the gold rush as opposed to, like, we've got nowhere to go or, no, like, no, nowhere so really, not really. To go. Like, a lot of – definitely there was still refugees coming um, to Australia during this time. But I guess it was also that concept of, like – my mum would always say this growing up, that, like, Australia was the lucky country and it was this idea right, yeah. that they would have a better life regardless if they were coming from a war-torn country or some sort of violence or were just coming from a country that they wanted to then have better prospects and opportunities because Australia was kind of booming in this time. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Um, But then after, like, during, like, the 70s when they introduced, like, the white Australian policy, the 70s through the 80s, it was still, like, a boom of immigration and there were a lot more um, immigrants coming from, like, Asia, India, Southeast Asia, like, countries that weren't necessarily white. And it was Mm. still relatively well-received, like, not necessarily through people and individual perception but in an economic point of view it like boosted Australia's economy like it really kind of like sparked this like great period of like Bob Hawke and um Golf Whitlam were like huge supporters of Golf Whitlam? Golf. 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 Golf Whitlam. I've always thought that's his name. Golf. 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 Golf Whitlam. Golf Whitlam makes me think of like the the, the whitest man that ever walked the face of the earth is called Golf Whitlam. It makes sense. Okay. So Golf Whitlam. Jesus Christ. Rachel. Oh, my Lord. I'm glad I 
called you out on it. But I say golf Whitlam all the time. I know, and I've always just been like, hmm, <laughs> whenever you say it. Because I pointedly say golf. <laughs> golf Whitlam whenever we talk about it. Yeah, but I always thought that was some sort of slang, and he would just like <laughs> not saying his name. I know him so well. Golf the Golf Whitlam. His nickname from golf to golf. <laughs> okay, well, anyways, Golf Whitlam was a big supporter of immigration. But then, come the 90s and come the Howard government, that's when things started to change. And that's when, um, I guess, like our current asylum seeker crisis that we are dealing with right now stemmed from the Howard government and became okay. this like this issue that all of these people were coming into the country. Everyone started freaking, about, freaking out about overpopulation. And then everyone's like, oh my God, we don't have enough space. Like cities are crowded. We don't have the infrastructure to deal with these people and everyone's so ungrateful. And so Howard kind of, um, I guess, perpetuated this idea. And he... It's worth mentioning, these are all uh, prime ministers of Australia, all these people that we've been talking about. I guess what you were saying with like the... Like the first, the the earlier waves of immigration is is more about like Australia's um, policy in terms of immigration, and not like stuff that might happen People's on the streets at night yeah. or in the schoolyard. Oh yeah, yeah, or whatever. yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it was the government's policy in terms of accepting immigrants and how they benefited the Australian economy during, like, from the forties to through to the sixties and seventies. Yeah, then as after in there wasn't that, so much active propaganda from the government, but like, yeah, obviously, yeah. like but they the were still experiencing. Were, Interpersonal, like, for, like racism course, on a personal yeah. level, and I'm, I'll yeah, get yeah, into yeah. that in a second. But I'm just talking sure, sure. about yeah, sorry, right sorry, now. Yeah. No, 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 that's okay. But yeah, just talking about how like the Australian government's kind of dealings with the whole thing, and then how that um, yeah, yeah, created this racist rhetoric and further supported it, and what we know of Australia's racism today. Uh, so yeah, like so. Then in the 1990s, economists argued that the nation's record-breaking like 27 years without a recession. Um, would have not been possible without like immigration because mm. all of these people coming in, it was something like 4.7 million foreigners arrived in Australia from 1980. Um, and it was only after like 2004 were they now only allowing like skilled migrants to come to the country. But this was something uh, really? that Howard brought in. Like he was not allowing uh, unskilled migrants. Like he changed like all of the visa laws not all of the visa laws, but a lot of the visa laws saying that it was you had to be like a skilled migrant, you had to ha be a student, or you had to have some sort of education background in order to come to Australia. That's that's so fucking dark, by the way, with the uh, with like only letting like skilled uh, workers. You know, I mean, I'm doing air quotes. That's so mm. fucking dark. That's so awful. Because especially yeah. considering that like the people that need like. You know, in terms of, like, at least this sort of myth of, like, the, you know, the perfect Australia, the lucky country. It's, like, the people who mm. need to come here are not the people who are necessarily skilled workers. It's kind of the other way around. Like, they're yeah, the people yeah. Who yeah. Are like, The thing that yeah. made it work so well in the 60s was the fact that we had a bunch of labour. Yeah, exactly. people yeah. weren't yeah. and continued to not be willing to do <laughs> a lot of And on a humanitarian level, it's just, like, it's so dark to be, like, only the people that really, like, are doing kind of all right in other countries, like, uh, are able to sort of assimilate here. We don't, we don't want anyone else, like, who, who actually would want to come, you know, like... Yeah, it has that very, that very like, creepy, I don't know what the word is, like, shield around it, where it's, like... Yeah, yeah. If you are kind of, like, in a position to be a skilled worker... 
in a country, you may not have the same pressure on you to leave that country. Whereas if you're yeah, just like yeah. a regular person who needs to get out of somewhere, there's a yeah, good chance yeah. you don't have skills because the situation that, you know, like made you need to leave was and like this, ongoing. And I think this is kind of uh, poses the discussion, which I don't think we need to get into now because it's quite a uh, lengthy discussion, but about mm. the difference between immigrants and refugees and asylum Refugees, seekers. yeah. And I yeah, think this sure, is something sure. that my mum always whenever we get into these discussions, she always makes a very firm point about she being an immigrant and not yeah, yeah. an asylum and not seeker. a refugee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, sure. um, but obviously they're their own issues. But I guess going back to cow, a coward, the coward <laughs> Howard. Hello, the coward administration. <laughs> the coward administration. Yes, hello. Yeah, it was basically just like, yeah, they just wanting to allow people into the country based on like fulfilling immediate labor needs and like not allowing anyone to have the possibility of gaining permanent residency. And so they would come over for like a few years to work a certain job and then they would be kicked out again, basically, in like very blatant terms. Um, So that's what they talk about when multiculturalism in Australia started to take a very rapid decline because it was all Mm. based on economic return rather than like family reunions and the sense of community. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I read an article about – so it was on The Conversation and it was entitled, Migrants Who Adapt to Australian Culture Say They're Happier Than Those Who Don't. And this is what I found interesting because like coming from, again, like my mum's experiences and the way that she would talk about becoming an Australian citizen, assimilating into an Australian culture, she's very much like an advocate for that. And she was like, well, this idea of kind of like you don't necessarily leave your culture behind – but you have mm. to, and this is the actual word that it's called. It's called Australian acculturation, acculturation, and so that's right. that concept of um, completely altering your culture and your cultural ideas mm-hmm. to fit the Australian way of life. Which is so must be. I can't imagine how like hard that would be. Like you know, like there's so much to like to learn about a new culture and like to do it. With the mechanics working against you and, and maybe not even like an idea of like English, like it'd be so fucking hard. Like, so to even know what the, what you're meant to be doing, you know, like I I can't imagine. But see, this is what I found interesting is that all of the statistics that I was reading about, they, so there was like this study done like years ago. Um, and then also recently, but with a larger group of people. And it's, they call it the measuring of a personal well being index. So it's called the PWI. And the personal well-being index is a measurement of a person's satisfaction using a point system from zero to 100. And so what they did is they sent out all of these like surveys, questionnaires, all this kind of stuff to the Australian general population. And so the average range of a personal well-being index for the Australian population is from 74 to 76. But then in the migrant sample, it's actually a lot higher. A person's mm. average uh, well-being index is 77 to 78. And so they're saying yeah. that actually the majority of migrants are happier in this context than, you know, non-immigrant Australians. Yeah, it's, it's, weird. It's, a, it's a weird thing to quantify. Maybe I'm getting us into the woods here, so maybe I shouldn't, you know, skim over this. But, like, it's a hard thing to quantify because it's, like, what what is, like, you know, if you're talking about the difference between, like, being 
like more comfortable in Australia, but you still don't. It doesn't necessarily mean that Australia's done the right thing. It might just mean where you came from. Yeah, was a yeah, lot yeah. Like, to live. yeah, Australia. Like, yeah, Australia is more comfortable than war-torn Baghdad or something. Yeah, like exactly. That, of and that's, but that was the majority of the uh, research was that yeah. people were very happy with their way of life. Like everyone was very satisfied with what they had because they weren't struggling like and then but then that yeah. posed a lot of questions of a lot of the migrants that were interviewed or questioned were skilled migrants they had education they had higher salaries and so those yeah. were obviously contributing factors that i guess mm. a lot of things are not taken into account but it yeah, was interesting yeah. and then it was interesting to yeah. see that this concept of like acculturation is what Australia expects of immigrants. And this goes into this racism that we now, mm. we as a nation have towards immigrants is that there was this, um, I read an article by the New York Times, which was entitled, Why Has Australia Fallen Out of Love with Immigration? And I found this mm. interesting because it's obviously, obviously from an American viewpoint, but the way mm. that they talk about it and they talk about kind of like the heyday of multiculturalism from the 40s through to the 60s. And then how it's declined like since economically. then. Like economically. Oh, no, just in terms of, yeah, I guess economically and from an outsider's point of view and how mm. much we promoted that. Um, and then it talks about like today and how the majority of people in Australia are not against multiculturalism. They're against mm. this um, lack of acculturation. So, so I think it's like three-thirds no, – sorry, not three-thirds, two-thirds. <laughs> two-thirds of the population believe that immigrants should – yes, we accept them, they should be allowed in the country, but they should have to assimilate fully into Australian culture and take on our practices and take on our beliefs and values in order to be accepted and in, in order to be like living in Australia. Yeah, yeah. And so this is that – racism where it comes from like you have to leave your culture behind in order to become an Australian citizen yeah which which you know it's, it's kind of like I mean like I, like I'm pointing this out even though I think anyone who listens to this show kind of already has an understanding that like Australia is obviously like a like a patchwork of, of many cultures and like most of the stuff that these racist people enjoy do, has not come from like uh, yeah, it, it is not British or Irish <laughs> yeah. or whatever like yeah yeah exactly and then I like when into when doing these polls a lot of things that came up was this idea of Australia being overpopulated, despite the fact that we have a landmass equal to the United States. Yeah, and they when, when interviewed about population growth, people living in cities didn't care about population growth. They were like, we just need better infrastructure. Yeah. But it's the people living yeah. in the country towns that are freaking out about population growth, which I'm yeah, just like, yeah, oh right, God, right, right. It's, yeah, it's funny. I feel like, yeah. Overpopulation is like an inherently fascistic concept. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. To sum up, I guess, Australia's point of view right now is the ABC News posted an article saying majority of Australians are in favour of multiculturalism, but also integration survey finds. So there was a survey done uh, in July of 2016 or 2018. 2018, involving more than 3,000 individuals. And the report found that 84% of respondents agreed with the statement that multiculturalism has been good for Australia, while 71% believed that accepting immigrants from many different countries makes Australia stronger. However, it also found substantial negative sentiment towards people from Africa, Asia and the Middle East, with a majority of respondents opposed to the government providing assistance to ethnic minorities to maintain mm. their own customs and traditions. So it basically 
basically was saying that endorsement of multiculturalism does not extend to majority support for cultural maintenance. So again, as I said before, everyone, all this concept of Australia making immigrants integrate rather than like maintaining their cultures and still being multi, like it's that concept of not understanding what multiculturalism means. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think like, and and I think probably also like a kind of fundamental misunderstanding of, of, um, like assimilation is possible without also like leaving behind your previous culture. But but I I think you can, you can conform to the values of a society while still being inherently an Indian person. Mm. You know? and, and that like, is called biculturalism. And, and that's like and that's a very healthy thing. And I think if you put it to a lot not not a lot of like not everybody, obviously, like this is Australia. But I think that if you could frame it in a particular way, a lot more people would be receptive to that. But it's these kind of like reverberations of the white Australia policy. Yeah, and all yeah. This kind of stuff also that also that I think it's alive. I think I think that from the like and this is just based on like the people that I that have views like this that I've talked to in Australia. I think that it's it's not it's like because it's is so inherently it's like this gatekeeping racism it's this like um well okay let, we'll compromise you're allowed to be here and I have to look at you on the bus but here's my terms of you living here when <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, beyond absolutely. beyond exactly. beyond just how fucked up the racism is like yeah. beyond that it's also just like you don't have any like it's this individual idea of like me I get to say the terms of all right. I'll, I'll you can live here if I if you do this that that and the other. It's like you have no like say on like what this collective country is. Like you mm. as an individual don't really doesn't really matter what you think. It's not your country. It's like it's <laughs> a it's a shared place. But it's this idea of like yeah, like what I said three times. But you know, like it's yeah. just such a fucking bummer. Like it's, it's, so, and it's yeah. so. And there's and the thing is, I I worry. I mean, maybe this is like uh, not the best way of trying to view people, but but I worry that there's nothing that can be done about that because it's just like that rate that racism is so, uh, like it's Ingrained. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and it is again like perpetuated by governmental policies. It's perpetuated by this, absolutely the way that we're treating asylum seekers. Like and the asylum, yeah, Peter Dutton. The thing Peter that Dutton. I didn't realize is because obviously when I was a kid during like the nineties and early two thousands, wasn't paying attention to politics. But the asylum seeker crisis has been going on since the nineties. Like I didn't mm. realize how fucked it was and how long it's been happening. Mm. And when I was doing my research, it just made me so so upset. And it's just these constant, like, waves of just when shit was so horrible in Australia in terms of how we treated migrants, let alone refugees. And I guess this kind of leads me into my mum's kind of little story, which we'll have snippets of. But um, when we talked about, like, yeah, the white Australian policy from, like, the 60s through to the 70s Mm. and this concept of, like, yeah, I just was – I listened to a podcast – And they were talking about how people who were coming on planes and boats, like immigrating legally to Australia, had to take a test once they arrived. And it was a white Australian test. And if they Mm. didn't pass, they weren't allowed in the country. They were put back on the plane and they had to go back. So fucked up. How crazy is that? I was like, what? That's insane. Like, I don't, I should have asked my mom about this because I only read this today. But I don't remember my mum telling me about a test, but I do remember her. Yeah, her mum would have done it? Yeah, I reckon um, Opa Frank and Nanny Nelia would have done it for sure. And I guess they were too young. They probably weren't, didn't have to take the test. But uh, 
oh, it's just, it's so baffling. And like, again, I just didn't do that much research on the white Australian policy because I just kind of forgot about it. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, well, right. Well, for, for international listeners, what's like, if anyone could give like the briefest, like couple of sentence rundown of the white Australia policy. I'm just going to quickly Google it before so that we don't actually. White Australian policy, formerly Immigration Restriction Act of 1901. In Australian history, fundamental legislation of the new Commonwealth of Australia that effectively stopped all non-European immigration into the country and that contributed to the development of a racially insulated white society. Yikes. It reflected a long-standing and unifying sentiment of the various Australian colonies and remained a fundamental government policy into the mid-20th century. Jesus. So it yeah. kind of so the Australian colonies passed a restrictive le- legislation as early as the 1860s. Jesus, that's crazy. I didn't realize that. Okay, so then from uh, although the act has never been repealed, the policy became less stringent from about 1950 on, first under Liberal governments and also under Labor from 1972 to 1975. Right. Right. So my, I guess my mum came at the the quite the tail end of it all, which is nice. But yeah. And I guess they when did they remove it? It's never So it's still it's still technically Yeah, it said it said that it's just not it's not yeah enforced in the same way. Um I wanna add one thing on the white Australia policy because I'm pretty sure I don't know if this is even that relevant, but I I'm pretty sure they were also trying to actively encourage white people to breed as well. That was also a mm, part of it was mm. like yeah, yeah. And so I kind of did some research into uh, immigrants' personal stories, and I found a really great guy on the Immigration Museum, Yusuf. Uh, he's had a lovely, lovely story. It was about um, Yusuf Ramonis and Tanza Ied, who were all born in northern Lebanon, and they came to Australia during like the 60s. And they became taxi drivers. You know, they'd heard about people becoming taxi drivers and how it was like a really lucrative business. He, one of his quotes was saying that, uh, so it goes, one night a couple of troublemakers got into my taxi and immediately began insulting me. I knew I had to get rid of them fast. I put the car in drive and turned the ignition. The car wouldn't start. I pretended to be frustrated and asked them to push start the car. Once they were out of the taxi, I quickly drove away. <laughs> Yeah. And then another one uh, was, he said, a lot of people call me Wog. A lot of people told me, go back to my country. In the taxi, some people ask me how many houses. I tell them I've got three, four, four houses. I didn't have a house. I told them I got six wives. I only have one wife. I told them yeah. a lot to make them upset. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Also, there's a thing A thing we might run. I don't know, because like, we have some British listeners and uh, Wog in, in the UK is like a really, really hard racial slur for black people oh is uh, it really yeah well so i like just note note that to, for british listeners the, it, it's a different meaning is it anyway all right let's play my <clears throat> mum's um accounts uh so i got my mum to kind of send me recordings of her experience when she first moved here from what she could remember so it goes for about like six minutes here we go when we came to australia in 1972, under the white Australian policy, which as a nine-year-old little girl I had no understanding of, outside of the fact that we had to have white blood in us to come to Australia and one day become Australian citizens. Not fully understanding that no one actually has white blood, but 
That was just my understanding and as, as a nine-year-old girl. When we arrived in Australia in 1972, October 13, it was a beautiful sunny spring morning. My uncle and grandfather told me it was 21 degrees here, but I was bloody freezing, it was so cold. And the number of people that walked across the tarmac at Tullamarine Airport was amazing. I'd never seen so many people in one place at any given time. My first day at school, at Miliara Primary School, which we started in late October 72. My auntie was a teacher at the school. Got to bear in mind that all of my mum's family were all white, much, much whiter than my father and myself. I was the darkest of four of their children, maybe because I just loved playing in the sun barefoot and with shorts. <laughs> my two older sisters, too, were much fairer than myself. My very elder sister went to a high school and my other sister, Lorraine, she went to the same primary school as I did. She was accepted straight away as she was white, whereas she was embarrassed that I was a little darky in the family and she did not want to socialise or associate herself with me because she clearly understood how everything worked as Lorraine is three years older than me. Nobody sat next to me in class. No one accepted the fact that I was one year younger than all of them, but yet in the same grade as them. I had double promotions when I was a little girl back in Sri Lanka, so it put me a year and a half ahead of my peers. I was insulted and felt insulted going to school, but going to school with an attitude where I thought I was different to all of them because I was coloured. They had to sit, they would actually sunbake, their mothers and sisters and brothers would sunbake in the sun just to get a colour like my skin. I thought it was hilarious. That became my ammunition against these people that criticised me and made fun of me for the colour of my skin. I used the fact that they were trying to tan, to be brown, getting burnt, peeling, going pink, looking ridiculous. And I thought it was funny that I was born with that colour skin, yet here they were trying to be my colour skin, yet they made fun of me. Bloody idiots then, and I think they're bloody idiots now. <laughs> but I was very good at school, which I suppose gave me one advantage over them. My father, on the other hand, who was darker than me, Daddy didn't um, fit in very well because... Dad, as well, was the only coloured person at his workplace, whereas I was also the only first coloured child at Miliara Primary School. By the time I got to grade five, my parents had moved from Miliara to Avondale Heights and I was put into Avondale Heights Primary School, which is less than five k's away from Miliara. But the parents, uh, there were immigrants, but not from India or Sri Lanka or any coloured countries. They came from Europe, so there were Greeks, Italian, Yugoslavians, Germans, all sorts of people from Europe. Their children were brought up to have a different perspective on um, social cultures, I suppose, and races, different races, races of people. And even there, the Aussie kids were completely different to the European children. 
they weren't as open-minded towards the colour of my skin, but by that time I really didn't give a damn or didn't care what anybody thought. I just did my own thing. But again, my older sister also was in school with me and she wasn't um, singled out, I suppose, whereas I was. I tended to socialise a lot with the European children because they were more socially accepted of the way I spoke, my accent and the colour of my skin. And most of all, the way my mother chose to dress me. Anyway, that's another story. I met up with some Greek kids, which became my friends. And I also met a young boy. His name was Ronald Caldenback. And he was from Holland. His father fought and grandfathers all were supposed to have fought in the Boer Wars. So he was extremely racist. And he resented his son socialising with my younger brother and myself because we were coloured. And anyway, Ronald's mum wasn't like that, so he was allowed to come and socialise with my younger brother David and myself. But we were not allowed to step foot past their front gate to even pick Ronald up to go horse riding or go have a play around the streets or whatever. It's... um. The social culture in the street, there were Egyptians, um, which I was friends with, so was my brother, but there were also Australian families um, who were very regimented in their way of thinking. I was not allowed to go to their houses. They were allowed to come to mine, but they were told not to socialise with me. I wasn't invited to their birthday parties or any social function that they might have had in between, I don't know, I would have been about 11, 12, 13-ish. But that was a bit awkward um, when we all, all the kids in the street on weekends, you know, some kids played cricket, we all rode our bicycles all around the place. But Ronald's parents' father was the worst. Um, he wouldn't even acknowledge my dad in the street when dad would um, wave and acknowledge, Christ, we were neighbours for God's sakes, we lived opposite each other. He never acknowledged my family. He spoke to my mum on a few occasions, but then mummy was quite white, so he probably thought, oh, yeah, you know, she's probably Aussie or something, I don't know. But um, that was hard to, to accept, um, not understanding fully why I was ostracised from these groups of children's playtime or not being able to go to their birthday parties. Adjusting into Australian society as a young child I thought was difficult but I look back now and I remember my dad talking to my mum. It was worse for my dad and at the same time it was also awkward for my mum. Even though mummy was not coloured, she was quite fair, her accent was very strong and her way of thinking being Sri Lankan was also very regimented. Mummy was ostracised in her own way as well. She was treated... Um, uh, differently, I suppose. Her own family shone upon her because she, uh, my father was so dark and I was not welcome in their homes. I recall one event where my auntie invited my mother, my father and all of us to go there for a barbecue and... Um, my sisters were outside playing with my two elder cousins, whereas I was inside. 
and I was not allowed into the lounge room. I had to stand in their foyer watching uh, my younger brother and my mum and dad socialise with my auntie and uncle. And my father was actually quite irritated and annoyed and upset and hurt, I suppose, that that's how they were treating me and not not my younger brother or my sisters or himself. But they couldn't treat daddy like that because mum would have really spat it. But my auntie and uncle made it quite clear to my dad indirectly without saying anything that I was treated differently because I was so much darker than them. And then it got to the point where my aunties and uncles and my grandfather time um, advised my mother not to let me play outside so I wouldn't stay, I wouldn't go or be as dark as what I was. But my dad and my mother thought that that was extremely unhealthy, even though my mum did try at one point, but that was a failure. But um, when you look back on, you know, how things are, nothing much has really changed here in Australia. There is still an enormous amount of racism. The only difference now is it's racism towards all races except Aussies. Another memory I have was when I'd had my three daughters and we were driving from Colac coming back to Melbourne. We stopped off at a little town to get the kids ice, ice poles and I walked into the shop to buy the ice poles as my husband sat in the car and looked after the girls. And the lady behind the counter would not even acknowledge that I was there. I was there for at least five minutes standing and waiting to be served until she completely ignored me and walked off. And then her husband came in and he was kind enough to serve me. We bought five raspberry icy poles. Another memory going back to 1995, 1996. Um, my husband at the time, we were planning to shift from Melbourne to the country, to Colac. And we found a little farm which we were quite serious about buying. My father and mother-in-law, who were Aussie, 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 were extremely concerned for my well-being um, if I was to go into Colac, a country town, to go shopping. I was actually told by them not to go shopping by myself, that they would actually escort me on a Thursday to go shopping, as there again, um, I would have been the first coloured person in the little town. Um, and also just... To clarify for everyone listening, um, when my mum says that my grandma, like my nanny nearly, like her mum was white. So I come from, just so that this is contextual, they're all obviously born, raised in Sri Lanka f um, generations and generations, but they're from what uh, people call burgers, which are not Tamil or Sinhalese, but they're from European descent. So a lot when Sri Lanka was colonised by the Dutch and the Portuguese and the British, um, they obviously, like, you know, horrible times, um, raped and, like, slept with and had relations with uh, Tamil and Sinhalese women. And then because of that created, like, the burger kind of 
race? Would you call them a race? Cast. Cast. Yeah. yeah the burger. The burger cast, which were a lot fairer than both Tamil and Singlies. Not super white, like not white, like Australian white, but also not as um, dark complexion as Tamil and Singlies. But then my mum and her young brother and my opa Frank were all very, very dark, and I think. And so, yeah, obviously, when they moved to Australia, they looked different, but they weren't like as different as what my mum and uncle and opa looked like. Yeah. It's like, I mean, like, I know that it's like, you know, you said, Rachel, you've heard this story again and again, but hearing it for the first time, it's really just like a, it's, it's really like a, it's a really, it's a really powerful story, I think, because it just really shows you like the different universe that um people live in when they move to Australia. And I think that, you know, obviously I don't think racists, uh, you know, necessarily going to hear a story like that and, and take it in. But I think if they did, you know, they'd really see that like, it is a different country if you're, if you're not white, like, and, mm. and, and uh, you know, yeah. It, and it's a really, I think it's a really powerful story. So yeah. Yeah. Sure. Mom for yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and also, and this is like St. Albans, like this, is this was mm. like a particularly, yeah, yeah multicultural area mm. in the 60s and this was still the, like and yeah. it was like this you know this yeah absolutely this yeah. Yeah. Moving into a white yeah, suburb. Exactly. yeah yeah i know i just there's so many stories of mum befriending yeah like her best friend uh is yugoslavian and even then she was also just like a little bit racist <laughs> <laughs> mum was like it was just like my day-to-day life and i just yeah it was Mm-mm. obviously like there's so much more to it and and her experience not not discounting mum's experience, of course, but it isn't like a lot of people's experiences moving to Australia. Like a lot of them are a lot worse and a lot more isolating well, think, and, you know, kind of a lot yeah. more violence and a lot more hatred comes to them. And I'm not saying that my mum and her family ex- didn't experience that, but obviously it's a different mm. time and different races and different cultures experience different kinds of attitudes. But also, like, you know, like, racism comes in so many forms, like, uh, and, and, like, you know, like, I think, you know, like, uh, well, that, anyway, yeah, nothing, don't worry. Mm. Okay. <laughs> start, like, mansplaining racism. <laughs> and racism. <laughs> um, so let me yeah. tell you guys. I guess that's kind of, that sums up my little section in terms of immigration and such. And... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting – it was an interesting kind of little section of research that I – it just made me think a lot. It just made me also think about, like, second-generation immigrants and mm-hmm. their kind of racism and, like, those feelings of isolation and that kind of sense yeah, compared yeah. to first-generation and how it's just a – it just stems. Like, it just – it's a constant, like, systematic issue that kind of, like, bleeds into who you are as a person and how your identity is manifested and yeah I don't know it's, mm-hmm. absolutely and how the government like you know does like there's like the government does enforce this kind of culture and also helps to create you know extensions of it you know yeah exactly yeah and I guess that kind of leads into Apex Gang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So from Colleen in the sixties in St Albans to uh, Tarnit in twenty sixteen, <laughs> just a couple suburbs over. So yeah, I'm going to jump into Apex Gang now. Uh, now that we've talked a little Apex bit gang. about migration and, uh, and immigration, immigration. We're not migrating. We're not a bunch of birds. 
<laughs> what is the difference? Is For, the difference? Yeah, migration, migration is migration is uh, not p- permanent. It's like a for the oh, summer yeah. you migrate. You yeah, migrate. and migration is like a, a like a, a commu- like a huge thing. Like it's um, uh, what's the word? Instinctual. It's like a natural instinct to migrate. I'm looking it up. Hold on. Like when uh, when a stri- fat Australian dudes go, it's well, it's time to go to Bali. Migration can be what I was saying, but it's a bit, it's a regional thing. Yeah. So you'd migrate, and it's based on weather and like no, 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 no. In a natural, yeah, if you're a bird, it is. <laughs> but if you're like a human being, <laughs> it's to do with whatever. Yeah, but indigenous cultures would migrate based on weather and resources. Yeah, yeah, I think but, that's, but, I think that's, yeah, but that's, <clears throat> but like Jews also migrated across Europe after yes, persecution because not of because of the weather. <laughs> yes. Okay. So yeah. Uh, Immigration, not migration. Migration refers to the moving across regions. Uh, Immigration refers to <clears throat> the um, uh, moving between nations. Uh, the, uh, I'm going to explain uh, Apex Gang what they, air quotes, are, um, were. Back in uh, 2013, I found an interview with a founding member of Apex Gang and also putting that in air quotes. There's a lot of air quotes. I, I'm probably just going to say air quotes or if I sound a little sarcastic, I guess. Yeah. Then, then Make your probably. sarcasm very clear because sometimes you're not very clear. Okay. Sure. All right. <laughs> um, so yeah, a founding member in air quotes, uh, in, ha- uh, it started off, he claims that it started off in Hampton Park. I actually think that this is pretty agreed upon that it, it started off in Hampton Park, which is in the southeast of Melbourne. Originally, the reporting of the uh, of the the name Apex came from a street, Apex Street in Dandenong. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. But um, but apparently this was also not true because it started in in Hampton Park, not in Dandenong. Um, oh, okay. Well, I read. Uh, apparently, yeah. They just they, they they say it's just a name. I saw an awful quote that said uh, they chose the name. <clears throat> They chose the name for its easy pronunciation as the founding members learned English as a second language, <sighs> which immediately mm. was pretty gross. That was like the first the first thing I ran into. So, yeah, uh, they kind of exploded into the public conscience, uh, consciousness in um, uh, 2016 uh, during the, uh, in March at the Moomba Festival uh, in Melbourne, which is a giant parade that happens every year. Um, I don't really know what it's about. I know that I was in the Moomba Parade one time. I thought I think it's a hippy dippy thing. I, that's my no. I think it's like a Melbourne or a celebration. It's like a it celebration. It is. It's a hippy dippy thing. What? But it's yeah, huge. Hippy dippy. Yeah, the hippies of Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's it's, a it's lot a, of hippies it's, in it's, Melbourne. It's a, there are a lot of them. I think it's a very accepting. Like I think there's a lot of queer. It's not Mardi Gras. And, it's yeah, Mardi Gras is not oh, hippie. Mardi Gras is gay. Yeah, I know, but it's I don't think well, it's LGBTQ. Anyway, let's Take not get into this bit of it. So the Moomba <laughs> Parade is a big thing. It's a big celebration that happens in Melbourne. I think that it's mostly celebrating Melbourne as a city. Um, and they have – it's a parade. It's the only one that we have in Melbourne where there are floats and things. And I was in it one time doing taekwondo <laughs> for some reason. Oh, yes. <laughs> cool. I got picked oh, when yeah. I was doing taekwondo <laughs> when I was 12 to, to jump in. And <laughs> they made me um, wear a yellow – Uniform, which was really weird, yeah. and they gave me a black belt <laughs> for, for the day. Oh, <laughs> really? They, they lied. That is a uh, this is faux a, pas. This is a yeah, little insight into the uh, into the fucking um, 
taekwondo Scamming industry of, taekwondo, uh, of the western yeah. suburbs where they before i was a certified black belt which i actually never became a certified black belt very he was very, uh, very, i was a probationary dollars. black belt which is a load of shit that doesn't mean anything <laughs> so yes they gave me a black belt um uh, for the day, which was very weird. And then I had to, for about three hours, walk through, march through the entire city doing Taekwondo, oh, <laughs> which was really, really hard. One of the hardest things I'd ever done. It was so tiring. And for some reason, <laughs> my parents had given me $20 to um, buy some lunch when I got the, like when I got into the city. And um, I decided that I had to... I didn't have a wallet because I was wearing a Taekwondo outfit. So I put all of it in my shoe, but it was like $12 in change I was oh wearing my in my shoe. <laughs> and so the whole time, you know, <laughs> it was kicking. three hours of kicking my way through the city. <laughs> and so I was just going, ching, ching, and really falling over from like Coins the extra weight in my right foot. If I was the Taekwondo instructor, I'd say you were, you were using your surroundings as a weapon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, so that's the that's that's my understanding of the uh, Moomba Festival is that it's a painful memory that I and I've never I've never gone back to it since two thousand five or never, six. Never or recovered. Um, so yeah, in twenty sixteen there was the uh, there was the Moomba Parade turns into a bit of a festival thing. A lot of people gather around. Um, a huge brawl broke out that was kind of labelled as a riot. Um, kind of moved up and down Swanson Street. I think it may have it happened in. Uh, Federation Square moved up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I remember, Fed Square. Yeah, yeah um, of African youths, South Sudanese boys fighting each other. And uh, <clears throat> I think that night there was like 36 arrests and that and there was people chanting Apex, Apex uh, amongst it all. So, yeah, so from there, the, like, the media really started to lean into the whole Apex sort of narrative because it was a right, very right. convenient. It was kind of as though these... Uh, South Sudanese kids had handed the media a like perfect recipe for how to like vilify them with this like, yeah, apex yeah. chant. And I suppose it becomes kind of like a punching bag where all this like uh, all this sort of racism and anger and hatred has like a, a something that you can just um, like pour everything into. Like a what's a what is it? What, like what is it? Tulpa. Tulpa. Like a, no, yeah. I guess it, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Like that, yeah. I think Apex Gang is the perfect example of a like an accumulation of a lot of hatred going into one sort of place that doesn't really exist, but kind of does because it yeah. Was well, you manifested into reality by yeah, by yeah, saying yeah. because I think that a lot of this um, Apex stuff took off because of the reporting about Apex Gang. If they yeah, if they yeah hadn't yeah. been reported on, Apex Gang wouldn't have grown into Apex Gang. Mm. Yeah. Right. Right. But um. Yeah, so, uh, like, various organizations started getting really into, like, their reports on Apex um, with anybody kind of being able to, like, you know, provide any sort of um, theories that they, that they you know, thought were right without any, mm. without any basis that could be published anywhere. So, like, there was one quote that I've got here. Uh, Mr. Hill said their motivation was thrill-seeking. Members had been egging <laughs> each other on by challenging one another to... <laughs> to criminal missions not to, oh not not dissimilar to those in video games like Grand Theft Auto <laughs> of course <laughs> just making stuff up like yeah totally that. making shit up and that just like that ends up in an article and sounds very yeah, legitimate yeah. but it's like it's just some boob who doesn't like fucking Grand Theft Auto and he's decided that, that like just you know, decides yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And so with that, the media cycle uh, around like South Sudanese young people young men kind of like kicks off um 
uh, you can see like a lot of reports from things like A Current Affair and Sky News in particular, um, you know, like discovering leaking facts about about the the, st- the stats of um, uh, like people's immigration status and stuff like that, saying, you mm-hmm. know, oh, like fifty percent of them are, are like a non naturalized, uh, like they're. Uh, visa holding immigrants they're not even like Australian citizens at this point and you know this many are Australian citizens this many are born here and all this kind of stuff so again more just sort of like like I just don't like I know that it's not the point of these programs is to be like I know I know what they are and I yeah, think they're not trying to but be it's fair. like no but like what like what how are they investigating this apart from just like googling facts about like how many of the South Sudanese people are Australian says fifty percent? That means fifty percent of the gang members. So we'll just say, you know, like it's just like there's no, yeah, I don't know, yeah, like, it's, yeah. It's not quantifiable. It's, yeah, it's very hard to to know where these like statistics are coming from, and also how relevant any of them are in the first place. You know, yeah. like what does that yeah, what, yeah. what does that actually mean for anybody that's experiencing crime? You know, like it doesn't yeah, yeah. matter if if the person that attacks you is a naturalized fucking citizen or if they're yeah a, yeah 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 so um then the Afri- uh, the the debate around the african gang crisis like starts to take over using kind of apex gang as the as the figurehead and they're from the southeast and then menace to society uh, which was another gang gang air quotes um from the western suburbs as yeah kind of like dominate the the narrative and then uh, very quickly we start hearing like pretty distorted statistics about crimes committed by African news. Peter Dutton, the uh, minister for the minister for immigration, uh, and Malcolm Turnbull, the PM at the time, uh, talked about the crisis of Sudanese uh, crime in Victoria, with Dutton calling for depo- uh, deportations of people uh, who were unwilling to assimilate, as we've talked about. Yeah, I had a quote mm. from him as well, like describing like. People are scared to go People to restaurants. People are scared to go to restaurants at night. Yeah, they'll get yeah. followed home, all yeah, this yeah. shit. Yeah. Followed home by gay. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Apex representation in the in the media was uh, like predictably uh, weaponized by by like the more conservative news organizations. Uh, I've got this quote from The Guardian talking about this. Uh, according to the Nexus searches, uh, the Australian edition of the Daily Mail has published the largest numbers on the Apex Gang, with four hundred uh, sorry three hundred and forty four articles in the last five years about Jesus. Apex Gang. My God, yeah, That's fucking insane. hell. Herald Sun uh, close on its heels with three hundred and twenty. Each has run more than four times the number of articles than the Age has run, with a mere seventy six. The Age only just beat out News Corp's National Daily, the Australian, with the quantity of its coverage. Which mm. that in itself is kind of interesting if mm. you follow yeah. Australian uh, news that the Australian would have reported on this less than the age yeah. because the Australian yeah, yeah, is yeah. kind of uh, Rupert Murdoch's uh, passion project. It's mm. like the first paper yeah, yeah. ever owned. So um, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about the statistics for a, for a moment, if you'd allow me. Allow so, uh, when you look at the crime stats between 2017 and 2018, I think it's a 73.5% of crime was unsurprisingly being committed by Australians and uh, New Zealanders, like ostensibly like white people. While the uh, Sudanese representation of these stats sat at 1.1%, which is very low <laughs> compared to 735 
So I had a look. I went and looked at, at the um, uh, Victorian uh, census date, uh, census um, stats from uh, 2016, which is the last uh, census before this. Oh yeah, I wanted to see what the uh, like what uh, what South Sudan, oh, Sudan's representation was in just its general population in Victoria to see how it like kind of stacked up against the like that one point one percent. And um, at that time, uh, at the end of twenty sixteen, uh, so obviously there's room for change in that uh, the population uh, they, uh, the Sudanese population made up zero point three percent of uh, like the general population yeah. so obviously that is an inflated uh like number of like uh offense like uh, uh alleged uh offenses uh committed by mm. um sudanese people but i think there's like you know that's the kind of the problem with like uh you know this kind of quantitative data like this is that that is just a number and doesn't take in a lot of things uh, t- doesn't take a lot of things into account such as like uh, maybe the um, percentage of people from uh, Sudan is uh, like predominantly younger people, and like young people commit more crimes than mm. you know older people. Yeah. And then uh, another one, which I think is like probably pretty obvious to most people, is uh, uh, policing and how mm. policing yeah, is going to be affected by uh, police biases yeah. towards yeah, Sudanese sure. people, and so. Obviously, there's going to be, yeah, you know, cops are going to be going after. And so, yeah, I think that also amongst, like, and the other thing that this doesn't uh, really explain is um, it doesn't factor in life experience, cultural differences, and that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm going to, that's, yeah, that's what I was yeah, infer- yeah, yeah, inferring. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, the trauma of, of, uh, of, of, uh, Seeking asylum and mm. the trauma of wherever you've come from mm-hmm. obviously plays a part in these sorts of like antisocial behavior and all that kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, for about a year, like Apex dominates the news cycle in a relatively sort of, um, I don't know whether word, like unfettered, you know, like sort of way where it's just like, yeah, yeah. say what you want about Apex Gang, say what you want about the Af- African gang crisis. And, um, and yeah, it was being it was being utilized to like there was a lot that was trying to be gained amongst all of like all of this uh, like media coverage and uh, yeah. and political coverage. And I I have a few theories into what these uh, what these like uh, kind of gains were. So one of them was like uh, building it would uh, <clears throat> um, if there was an African gang crisis, they could like justify mm. um, further funding into like data building initiatives to like more easily track immigrants and their movements, uh, their visa status and all of that kind of stuff in, in a kind of like in the context of criminal behavior. Which, oh, Jesus, that's uh, really dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then obviously like uh, Dutton, uh, Peter Dutton, the immigration minister being a, mad racist um he yeah. obviously was all about deportation and so you know this was an easy way to to push for deportation of sudanese kids <laughs> which is just awful <laughs> so yeah it's horrible yeah Jesus. and also like i imagine it's also just because like the media writes stories like this because people read them and people absorb yeah yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah yeah absolutely but i think like the the more like the the Political aspirations of of pushing these yeah 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 yeah. Um, yeah 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 kind of beyond just like sales and clicks, 
Yeah. Sure, sure. So, yeah, there's like, yeah, there's that quite famous now Peter Dutton quote of uh, people are afraid to go to restaurants at night for fear of being followed home and then, you know, talking about car inv- home invasions. I feel like it's just worth mentioning really quick for to contextualize Peter Dutton for people who don't know. Peter Dutton was a yeah. cop in the dirtiest cop state of Australia. Really? Brisbane. Was he a policeman? Yeah, that's how he got his start oh, yeah, in politics. Yeah. He was known for throwing Indigenous people in the back of his divvy van, <clears throat> un, un, uh, like um, secured and doing mad donut, donuts <gasps> and shit and throwing them all around the place. Oh, my God. And this guy was, yeah, our uh, Minister for Immigration. That's He's a real piece of shit. Yep. Honestly, probably the worst person in Parliament. Yeah, hate yep. him. Despise hate him, him so much. But anyway, so yeah, uh, he looks like uh, uh, not that it really bears much on on anything. He looks like a thumb. You might recognize him as the guy that looks like a giant yeah, yeah, thumb. yeah. That he very looks f- like Lord Voldemort. He I does reckon. look a lot like Lord Voldemort. Yes, he does. Mm. Yeah, he's an awful person. Mm. So yeah, um, another one of the uh, things that was being pushed for was like uh, a change in a particular law around mandatory da- jail time. So like uh, removing the possibility of bail um, for different violent crimes, so that People convicted, uh, people who had been charged with something weren't allowed to come back out. Um, and this is this is the thing that we've had for ages. But they were trying to expand the the offences that could oh, keep uh, you could be kept in jail for. So things like yeah, rape and murder mm. were uh, have always been that way that you can't get on bail, you can't get bail for. And yeah, and then uh, another one of the big factors was there was a, there was an election coming up, and um, there was uh, you know like a push for the liberal government uh, the like the coalition to kind of make out that the uh, uh, Victorian Labor government was uh, soft on crime and all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, capital so L, uh, capital L liberal is mm. equals yeah, yeah. like center right in Australia. Yeah, so yeah, there was obviously like a motivation to um, make them uh, you know make there be crime <laughs> that maybe wasn't there or you know could could be yeah, yeah. Uh, simplified into something. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, like an African gang crisis, you know. So um, I mean, I guess that's uh, that's pretty much but it. What, what's uh, the reality? What is oh, yeah, what is no, the wait, real Apex gang? Yeah, let's gang? get oh, the that's... reality. Yeah. So essentially, like by uh, like mid twenty uh, mid April in twenty seventeen, uh, the Deputy Police Commissioner Shane Patton, um, who's now I think the Victorian uh, Police Commissioner. Uh, Told a parliamentary mm. inquiry into migrant settlement outcomes that Apex Gang were, had, was largely a non-entity by now, uh, saying that the leaders of yeah. the gang whew, had been uh, mostly arrested, and saying uh, saying in this inquiry that a, uh, that the group consisted of about 130 people who loosely claimed to be members, um, and that a large cohort of these members were Australian, <laughs> and and that the gang was never made yeah. up of the kind of like. Traditionally portrayed as being majority South Sudanese, minority Pacific Islander, um, like uh, yeah, population, and so. So, so but, but like, what is like by gang, like graffiti gang, or like a crew that rolls people, or a crew that fights another? Or are they gang? just a like, group of is, friends? Yeah, they <laughs> like just call themselves none of them, gang. None of them. They're just a they're, they're just a group of people on social media. That was really all uh, that like. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah If you want to look at, like the reality of the whole thing, it was a social media like it was it was yeah. a small social like media network of people. Okay. Kind of that's why yeah they had to say loosely claim to be members because it yeah. was not an established gang. Because I think that oh. like one of the important things to remember, and this is probably more obvious to anyone outside of Australia, but like yeah, like gang has a particular connotation that mm. that infers organised crime, and even in Melbourne, where 
you know, like gangsters and that sort of thing is not a huge part of the kind of criminal culture of Melbourne. You have things like the gangland killings of, you know, 2006, 2005 and that sort of thing. All of that was organized crime. They were they were set groups of people doing like yeah, specific yeah, yeah, yeah. things with specific goals, not just a bunch of young people who were screaming Apex Gang when they got into a brawl yeah, it's, on the it's, street yeah. somewhere. It's not yeah. it's not it's not the warriors. Like people don't just <laughs> no, just like get a group of people and go, We're gonna be a gang, why I don't know, so we can fight other gangs. Like it's not it's, the it's, it's not it doesn't exist like that. You know, like like it's it's not like it's not even like in America maybe there's some old school rivalries between some gangs that like get built up into this like like Apex but Gang not, is absolutely like, not. not not to that level, I don't yeah, well, think. Uh, like, yeah, but no, it does exist, but it's in a completely different context. It's yeah, white yeah. Australia. Absolutely, it's, yeah. It's, For sure. It's, you know, and 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 this is like a whole thing to get into that's probably, this is not the podcast for it, but like amongst, like if you want to talk about organised crime in Australia, we have like a certain amount of that like mafioso sort of shit, but then there's like, it's mostly dominated by bikey gangs. Yeah. And if you want to talk about yeah, like yeah. immigrant representation within those biker gangs and stuff like that, it's a pretty small percentage of people. Like, they're definitely a part yeah, of it, yeah. but they don't make up the bulk of it. And that's why, and like, yeah, like no. the way that we talk about bikies, because obviously bikies have been vilified, you know, in a very intense way by the media, but yeah, it's yeah. a very different way than the way, like, than, than Apex Gang. And arguably, no, they are a more dangerous people because they are an organized <laughs> criminal yeah. enterprise. But yeah, so I think that, like, the way that the, all of this was talked about was very intensely, um, yeah, <laughs> obviously it was very loaded. And, and yeah, like the, I think, I guess the bikey comparisons kind of like it works because here's a group of people that uh, probably objectively cause more harm and like are more organized and are much kind of like uh, much more of a gang than uh, than Apex yeah, yeah. gang was. Mm. But the kind of media coverage that they get, while it's not kind to them, is very, very different. And it's not about deportation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, never exactly. talking about getting rid of and these people. I and I secretly suspect that it's almost like with with race oh wow. We'll get into this later also, like, you know, this is just my theory. But like I think that I think that it I, I think a lot of people who talk about Apex gang and talk about African gang culture, it's like they know perfectly well that it's not it's not like this at all. It's just it's a it's a it's like a dog whistle, uh, like catch-all phrase for just I'm I'm racist and I don't like seeing African people around and I think that they commit crimes. You know, like I I don't know if they actually believe in this conspiracy theory about there's gangs everywhere. I think they just it's an easier way to talk about it. But I don't know if that's true. That's my theory. No, I think so. I think that I think that this was like I I think this is a distinctly Australian thing that Australia is very good at where they. And I think we might have talked about this in the intro, but I can't remember. Where like we yeah, yeah. have a way of kind of um, uh, no one wants to express their outright bigotry until the until there's like some weird justification that can be made in people's yeah minds yeah where, yeah yeah. Like Apex Gang was a really good way for people who didn't want to identify as racist to be racist very plainly because I'm not talking about. African people. I'm talking about African gangs, but it's like, but you're afraid of African people. You're not afraid of these yeah, gangsters. Yeah. Like, I can understand if you saw a huge group of Sudanese kids screaming Apex running towards you, that would be scary. But if you're just in a shop and you see an African kid, that's not the same thing. And yeah. just because Apex gang may or may not exist doesn't justify that sort of like thinking at all. 
But sure. Australia does like is really good at kind of like you know doing that mental gymnastics to to be fine with that sort of shit. When I was looking up, but if you know, because if you Google South Sudan refugee stories or Sudanese refugee stories or whatever, you know, African gang, uh, no, no, not African gang, but like if you if you Google these things, you like it came, I came up with a lot of like Reddit posts when I was sort of trying to find my way through this research that you know were just people being racist, and I suppose the thing is, there's a lot of stories that I'd see where it'd be like. I was on the tram on the way to Chadston and then, you know, why these African uh, youths have to, you know, like sort of attack me and insult me and they surrounded me and tried to steal my mobile phone. And it's like, the, the, if, if it wasn't Sudanese people, this would just be a story about, oh, some really shitty people tried to steal my phone. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's because they, they, they specifically want to target Sudanese people. It's not, oh, some people stole my phone. That was really fucked up. It's, oh, Sudanese people stole, tried to steal my phone. You yeah. know, and that's yeah. the distinction is like, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, like, like, you know, crimes are committed, like, you know, by people from all different kinds of backgrounds in Australia. It's the targeting of the specific race of the people and exactly, the, like, yeah. you know, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I suppose, like, I was trying to, like, find, like, not not so much Rachel with like the kind of like uh history of like immigration, but more like trying to find a lot of first hand stories of what it's like to emigrate from um somewhere like uh South Sudan is mostly what I focused on because it just yep. made sense to yeah, to select one one country or something. But um kind of like, like what the reality is like living in the modern Australia through this and in parallel to this kind of like, you know, this this new Australian take from the media and from the public and from, you know, the government, from what Rachel discussed, like, on immigration. Um, yeah, I, I settled on, like, mostly 99% of what I'm talking about is going to be about South Sudan because I think uh, it's kind of like the people that were painted as being in Apex Gang, but also because, like, obviously there's a lot of different uh, people immigrating from Africa and and very different cultural backgrounds, like, and it should obviously be uh, noted that I'm I'm choosing a lot of first-hand accounts because, like, me being, like, you know, white dude, middle-class, went to private school, I think it's better just to hear it, like, first-hand accounting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I have selected them, and um, I, I'm sure there's, there's uh, as as we know, there's a million different stories from every single person that immigrated to Australia had a completely different time, so, yeah. So, I'm going to start off with just a very brief rundown of uh the civil war kind of well civil wars in south sudan in the last like 10 years or so just to kind of give some context um this comes from blackpast.org uh the south sudanese civil war is an ongoing civil war in south sudan fought between the government forces led by president salva kia and the SPLMIO, south uh, sudan people's liberation movement in opposition the conflict began in 2013, a bloody civil war that has cost the lives of an estimated 300,000 civilians over the past five years in a nation of uh, 12.3 million. Um, obviously, this is kind of an old article. Um, <laughs> South Sudan is not unfamiliar with violent wars. A region vastly differing from the rest of Sudan, South Sudan has always a Christian and more aligned with Africa, south of the Sahara, while whereas Sudan, it, like, you know, proper... Uh, was overwhelmingly Muslim, identified with the other Muslim nations of North Africa and the Middle East. This difference led to a push for independence from South Sudan and multiple civil wars. Uh, there's a lot, like over the, the sort of time period I'm looking at, which I guess is kind of from, like, you know, I mean, really from 2008 to, to now, 
there's been a, a, like a, like two or three civil wars, and so there'll be the, these points of stability, uh, which will, you know, like there'll be a democratically elected person, and then there'll be another coup, and another civil war breaks out. So there's a there's like a, a lot of different uh, points of trauma that people have, and it it, 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 it like you know it the ongoing nature of this displaces people and families a lot. Um, I'm gonna start by. Uh, I read like most, well, like parts of this book, Growing Up African in Australia. It's an anthology of stories from, uh, Africa diaspora Australians. But this comes from a story by, uh, and if I pronounce names, I'm very sorry, uh, Nidalol Nguyen, but I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but this story is called Her Mother's Daughter, and this is some excerpts from that story. The shameless indifference of war means that families become strangers. War reduces the most intimate relationship to the meaningless connection. For me, the war not only separated me from my grandmother, I was also separated from my mother and knew little of my father. I grew up with fragments of who they are, the broken links of kinship. I was too young to even remember the year I was separated from my mother. It was sometime in the 1990s. It was not until 96 when my father was killed that I saw her again. On the day we reunited, she was dressed in black. The dark, voluminous hair I remembered was clipped to the skull. She was very thin, her eyes so deeply sunken into the sockets that they looked like they were mere black holes. When she saw me, she dropped to her knees and cried. I stood there stiffly like a tree trunk. It did not occur to me that the tears were appropriate for the occasion. Before we returned to Australia, my mother and I travelled to Ethiopia, where my grandmother had lived, and to South Sudan. I saw her treated with a level of honour that I had never seen before. She was respected, she was known, and she was relied on for advice and counsel. She had a voice, a strong voice. It was so strong that people once picked her to represent them as a member of parliament. I could not compare that life to her life in Melbourne, where she struggled to find work as a cleaner and an uh, 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 old folks care worker. I had watched her struggle with the language, struggle to understand the complex letters sent by Centrelink, insurance companies and banks. It's a blunt contrast. Many people assume that everyone wants to come to Australia. I've wondered whether my mother ever wanted to. Mum, like many parents, came to this country for her children. She wanted her children to have a better life, or at least a chance. No matter how bad her country was, she was industrious enough to have survived, maybe even thrived. I wonder what it would feel like to—I uh, wonder what it would feel like to feel Australian, but happen to be black. To wake up one day in the knowledge of your blackness and what that means to some people. Um, so, this kind of gives an example of um, kind of like the—you know—like there's a lot of stuff that I've read about the trauma of war and how it, it displaces families. And so like people, when they come to Australia, uh, have to kind of find a, a new sense of community within the country because there's a lot of healing that can't really be done because the, you, you lose contact with people, um, and gain it again. Uh, and when, uh, often I would read like, when people would find their old relatives, it was like they were talking to different people because they changed so much. So like that's, this is all kind of what goes into the DNA of like a family that moves to Australia from a, a country like South Sudan. Um, yeah. Cause it's particularly with South Sudan, like uh, a lot of the time it would just be a, like a child would arrive here without their parents. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Which is yeah. Um, very, so very heavy. And yeah, not something that, most people could comprehend it all. <laughs> That's not something exactly. I when in a lot of my research when I would be like reading refugees and immigrants like firsthand stories. The thing that frustrates me so much is that we see people in our little social bubbles complaining mm. about things and like 
talking about their trauma, not saying that their trauma is obviously not. No, no. Every trauma is different. But just the weight that I guess like white society puts on certain kinds of experiences is so huge. Like it's like everyone kind of makes things out to be like a very, very huge deal. And it's like these horrible experiences. But then when you look at people coming from war and like fleeing countries and like seeking asylum, it's a whole other thing that people just like don't talk about in at least our social circles enough or like don't understand the ramifications of something so traumatic and then just kind of like, I don't know. It's just something that really grinds my gears. It's because people, they don't have any, they, most of the people that you're talking about have no, uh, idea of what that could possibly be like apart from in films. So yeah, it's not something yeah. that they can draw from. You of know, course. Like, yeah. It's yeah, just, it's, it, it's just a but frustrating they should, thing you know, they should when people, bit, yeah. yeah. And like when people are talking about being like, you know, understanding and like standing up for certain people's rights and that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, obviously you are, but you're also not comprehending the rights that you're really standing up for. Yeah. In this I situation. Do, I, yeah. I think the way in Melbourne, Mm, have yes. a particular <laughs> problem with like uh, not wanting to acknowledge the middle classness of all of these conversations, exactly. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and think like, oh yeah, of course we're factoring in that experience as though I can relate to yeah, it in exactly. any way yeah. at and all. You, can't. <laughs> you and just you can't. can't, and you've probably never met someone from that exactly. background. And, and it's uh, okay to admit that you can't. Like yeah. I think that's I know, such yeah. a huge step, and to be like, I don't understand this, and then just be like. Willing to listen. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, willing you notice to it listen. with Australians over in Germany a lot more, especially the ones that do travel. There's this weird, like Australia has this weird, and I really notice this in Germany a lot, has this weird kind of wise man of the world view for no reason. Oh, where they go sure. like, they're constantly over here, always Australians, there'll be someone going like, yeah, and they'll, they'll be telling a story about like war in their homeland or economic, you know, poverty or whatever. And they'll be going, and the Australian will be going, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, nah, it's really fucked. Like, yeah. Like as though they have any idea. Mm. <laughs> like, oh, you know, it's, it's, so it's this weird, it's this weird wise man of the world bullshit. And they don't the white savior like. complex. Yeah. It's, it's fucking riddled. Big dog yeah, in yeah. Melbourne. Yeah. I'm <laughs> so sick of it. <laughs> um, I'm going to jump to, uh, an article from The Age. And this is kind of like a sort of, um, sort of to lurch forward into like, you know, like, cause I've talked about kind of like the roots of why people end up maybe moving to Australia. And here's sort of like, uh, this is written, this is an opinion piece written by, uh, again, with the pronunciations, but it's, I think it's Beyond Den Beyond. Um, he's a Sudanese kind of community leader in Footscray, I'm pretty sure. When the South Sudanese first received their Australian visas, myself included, it was a great relief. A second chance after years of war. Mothers hoped their next generation could enjoy safety and peace, and indeed the first years exceeded expectations. Over time, however, cracks appeared and as issues emerged in the community. Some of the same parents, once happy and hopeful, now wish they had never come to Australia. This article, by the way, is called... South Sudanese, uh, Sudanese mothers wonder if they were better off in a war zone. Um, every mother dreams of a good life for her children, regardless of her color or religion. She goes to any length to ensure their well-being. South Sudanese mothers are no exception. My vivid memories are of women in conflict zones rushing through crossfire using their bodies as shields and walking thousands of kilometers in desert for their children. This burning love continued in Australia. Their infants grew and thrived. In the years followed, however, something shifted as children became adolescents. The first signs of youth crime begin to appear. The broader impact of this calamity is evident. Most of Australian, uh, most uh, of African appearance 
have experienced discrimination or harassment. Young people are committing suicide and parental mental illness is rife. Unemployment as a result of discrimination has increased and new trends of homelessness have emerged. Young people are reoffending, disengaged from school, entirely lacking in hope or direction for the future. The Victorian government has generously, generously supported the South Sudanese community with service provision, funding and dialogue, all of which have been positive. However, the issue still exists and the fallout is enormous. With children incarcerated, mentally unwell, suicidal, disengaged, abusing substances or dead, uh, parent hopelessness is at a critical level. Mothers have lost everything they live for. The current crisis needs a fresh approach. approach. In the end, we are all Australians and what affects one community affects all. A collective holistic approach is vital to ensuring a strong and united Australian people. Mm. So... That's kind of like, uh, I mean, that's obviously an opinion piece as well, should be noted. I don't know if, like, he necessarily speaks for everyone in these Sudanese communities, but uh, I'm going to kind of, like, run through that opinion. I'm kind of using that as the DNA for what I'm going to be talking about and kind of, like, discussing some first-hand stories that kind of illustrate these kind of points. But, yeah, it should be noted that this doesn't necessarily reflect the view of the South Sudanese community. This is, this is maybe just his own opinion. I watched this documentary called uh, Constance on the Edge. Uh, it's about this lady, Constance uh, Akot, who lives in Wagga Wagga, and it spans over 10 years of her life coming from uh, South Sudan. She had a very interesting backstory. She was like a community leader within uh, like a refugee camp. I th- uh, I'm not actually, I think it was Ethiopia, but I might be wrong on that. I'm sorry if I am. But um. Most, it seems like most people at some point or another before they immigrate to Australia spend some time in a refugee camp. Uh, and then she moved to Wagga Wagga and it's just about her life and her family and, um, you know, issues with her son who, and, and like all of her children, but her son Charles, who has a lot of issues with drug and alcohol and, um, some crime, uh, in his life and stuff and, and her sort of adjustment into becoming, uh, integrated. Like, you know, integrate into the the community in Wagga Wagga, I suppose. Um, I've got a collection of quotes here that kind of discuss sort of what I was talking about before. Uh, This is from Constance Accord herself. Um, When we arrive here in Australia, in Wagga Wagga, we have a lot of support. They put you in a house. They take you to Centrelink, Bank, Medicare, show you a doctor and leave you there. But the thing is, we didn't understand anything and we didn't know how to tell people we don't understand this. We feel like we're offending sometimes. We just say yes. And, uh... There's a few th- the sources that I've read. A lot of this, there's a lot of repetition and echoing of this point is that people generally don't speak English when they come to Australia um, and they're kind of expected to just be thrown into like a classroom without any education. Uh, the way that it was set up, at least at that point, was that you're put into the class with students that are your age, but you might not necessarily have any idea of the language or be educated to that level. So people fall behind in class very quickly. Uh, it's something that comes up quite a lot. And um, it's hard to make friends, especially because you're not really sure of the culture that you've been sort of inserted into how it works at all. Um, uh, I've got another quote. This is from the, the book I was talking about before. This is by Kath Moore, and it comes from the story How to Be a Green Monster. Australia's multicultural melting pot is a civilizing notion constructed by idealists, watching the experiment unfold from a safe distance. How does it feel to be lumped into this category under this term, thrown around by policymakers and protected by the privilege of colonial whiteness? More on this I took from this uh, podcast series. There's a five-episode series called 
Savannah to Suburbia, and it's about South Sudanese uh, resettlement. Uh, it, like, you know, goes through the whole timeline. Uh, most of this that I'm going to read comes from the last episode, which is called Resettlement and uh, Resilience. Uh, and and it's a it's a collection of um, it's a collection of like different people being interviewed, but all of them are kind of unnamed. It's just sort of like a, a collection of lots of different voices, so there's no names attributed to this. Um, but yeah, I've got some uh, some more on that on like you know first coming to Australia and how that how that might feel like for some people. Um, uh, coming to Canberra was a cultural shock. We came in November 2004. I felt cold then because Kukumbu is the hottest place ever, very dry and windy. There were other things like food and also the way Australians organize. Like if you get on the bus and you see something like a line and sometimes it's not a line and sometimes it is a line and you feel confused and sometimes you go in front of someone standing in the line and that's not good and you feel embarrassed because you've jumped in the line. And this was the first thing that challenge that was a challenge for me because in the bus stations in, in Sudan, you just stand around. It's not like a straight line that you don't even know it's a line. And the food's different. It's completely different. It smells and tastes different. It took me a while to even eat the food. Um... And it's like, you know, like, I think all of this is basically just a pain. Like, you you just get dropped in a, in a completely different environment without really any roadmap to understanding uh, what you're meant to do, how you go about things. Um, and that's why these communities are so super important, you know, within, like, certain communities where there's a lot of South Sudanese, you know, like, it's important to have someone to be able to show you. But a lot of people in, in the in the early days didn't. And I feel like a lot of people sort of point to, um, yeah, just how tough that was, you know, in terms of integration. Yeah. And it does uh, like, it kind of, it's like, w- why is it a surprise that, that, uh, this creates insular communities of ethnicities when this is like the, the world that you get dropped into, you know? Yeah. And, and also, uh, from the, uh, age article, you know, cracks in the ground where issues can spring up from, you know, like, a, um, you know, like, a, yeah, so I'm going to uh, quote uh, Kevin Andrews, who's our Minister for Immigration in 2007. Uh, I've been concerned that some groups are not settling and adjusting in as quickly as I'd hoped. It makes sense to slow down the intake from countries other uh, from other countries like Sudan. He uses that as an example. Um, so this means around 2007 that uh, a lot of a lot of um, uh, South Sudanese that were sort of going through the process of immigrating to Australia, get sent to Egypt. Uh, I've got a lot of quotes that I'm not, I'm going to skim over, but like a lot of quotes talking about how, uh, the living stands in Egypt are really not good. It's really hard. So a lot of Sudanese people in Australia have to kind of support their families in Egypt from Australia. Right. And, uh, it, it also, you know, it leaves a lot of people scattered around, around the world, you know, when there was already kind of a roadmap for everyone relocating to Australia. So again, it's further like, uh, displacement of people and breaking up of like families getting into sort of like uh the around the time period that zeb kind of covered quite zeb kind of already explained like the kind of culture around you know like late 2018 or so with like you know like uh the african gang crisis in the media and everything so now i'm sort of getting more into like the reaction of the community to this um this is from the podcast that i was talking about before uh it's with a group leader but it's unclear about like what the organization is uh, that he uh, runs, so I'm not really sure, but I think it might be uh, this organization in, in Dandenong, I think. I'm not 100%, but uh, th- uh, this is another quote. Um, we are seeing what's called intergenerational conflict. 
We feel as uh, we feel as parents that the children don't understand us and we don't understand them because they are growing up in a different environment. What they're learning in school might be different from what their parents know, and we need to fix that very deep gap, working with the school, coming together, and sharing our knowledge and experience. I did a number of projects in Canberra. Oh, sorry. Well, Canberra. I was supporting young people in soccer activities, health promotion, helping newly arrived kids in school, and doing bicultural work. It's led now to my occupation working in mental health counselling and community development. One project is called Families in Cultural Transition. One part of that is working with trauma. I asked some guys, what is trauma? And they responded, it's a sickness of the brain, a sickness of thinking. And I was saying, no, that's not what it is. For South Sudanese, uh, because many were born into war, many were traumatized, but they won't tell you, oh, I'm traumatized, I need counseling. If you tell them that, they'll take it as an insult, um, uh, as though you're saying you're mad, and that comes from the culture. You don't want to expose your old problems and you deal with it at an individual level. That's the expectation. So that's kind of like an explanation for kind of like some of the issues between like the, yeah, the kids that grow up in Australia and like how difficult. Yeah, I was going to say, I was, I was watching, um, uh, when I was watching the um, Al Jazeera report into all of this stuff, there was an interesting moment where mm. there was this young dude, I think his name was Titan or something like that. Um, he was talking about his relationship with his mum and uh, amongst all of the Apex stuff where her being like a stay-at-home mum who generally didn't go out much bar going to the supermarket and stuff, she watched a lot of TV and her opinion of like what was going on with like South Sudanese kids was at odds with his own reality. Like he couldn't convince yeah. her that like what he was doing was like leading a constructive normal life and not as a criminal, but mm-hmm. channel seven was telling her otherwise and telling her so much that she ended up kind of tending to believe channel seven yeah. more than her own kid, which is a pretty devastating That's awful. idea. Yeah. It's really horrible. So in terms of uh, solutions, obviously, I have, like, no authority to speak on, like, community-based solutions, but it seems to be, uh, if I look at a lot of the sources I've, I've uh, looked at, that, like, the there needs to be uh, a strengthening of, like, these community groups need more funding and um, more acknowledgement by the government and also... Yeah, you know, like that, they, it begins with community. In the documentary, um, uh, Constance on the Edge, she sort of has a lot of run-ins with police throughout the story and she talks a lot on it. And there's this, um, there's a scene and, you know, it's a documentary, so we'll take it with a grain of salt, but it does feel pretty genuine where like the one sort of police officer that she kind of, uh, sees eye to eye with has like a, a meeting day where she as, you know, she's a community leader of South Sudanese people in Wagga Wagga. They kind of take her in to meet and speak with the other police officers, some of whom look like they do not want to be there, some of whom are more open to ideas. But I think, like, there's a, a quote I'm about to read, but it's sort of like her talking with them, knowing their names and and them knowing who she is and, and understanding some of the issues she had. The documentary makes it feel like that is the kind of thing that, that can work, you know, and, and there's a part of me that feels like... We should be a little cynical about the police, but there's a part of me that feels like, eh, maybe, you know, like if there, there are some community based solutions. I'm going to read a quote from the doco, uh, from her, from Constance. People look at you as, as a black person. They start judging you immediately. This is her talking to a police officer. This is a problem because I know there's a lot of Africans that don't understand English. They don't understand laws. And some police take this to everyone else. They think that all these people are the same. Um, 
I'm going to leave uh, this off with one last quote. It's from the the book, the anthology of different stories. Uh, it comes from Grace Williams, and the story itself is called Ravenswood. And it, it's just something to kind of leave this off on, on an interesting note, I think. Um, I remember walking into Cole's supermarket with my mother and having a shop assistant ask me, aren't you grateful Australia took you in? I was surprised when my mother leapt into conversation to rescue me by educating this woman about some of the key factors of my refugee existence. Under fluorescent lights, I heard her say, My country is wonderful and I miss it very much. If it wasn't for war, we wouldn't be here. This is not a choice we willingly made. The truth is Australia chose us and not the other way around. That's kind of like, I mean, you know, obviously I'm trying to use as many first-hand accounts and everyone's got a different, completely different story and opinion obviously including in inside these groups but yeah i uh that's kind of i don't know like yeah. where i like i feel like i kind of covered something there but <laughs> <laughs> i think that you're right i think that um yeah obviously like funding uh is a very important part of this sort of stuff and i think one of the most kind of like nasty and cynical um aspects of all of this is that like when when government forces like intentionally vilify communities it then justifies not providing that sort of funding you know it's mm, like yeah. it's that really frustrating yeah. thing where you end up creating um a monster that nobody wants and yeah, then yeah. like if you could fund this and acknowledge that it's like it's a problem to be solved and not in the sense that like all of these people are committing crimes but like that integration yeah, yeah. and the lack thereof is a problem to be solved we can do it but if you turn them into monsters and then say all right the solution to this monster problem is to <laughs> integrate with the monster it's going to be really really difficult and it ends up it's like a no-win situation all you do is perpetuate yeah, yeah. a really bad idea and everyone you know keeps on getting hurt and keeps on feeling miserable and the cycle just kind of goes yeah it, it, because because you're, you're forcing like you know like it, it, you know obviously obviously that like the 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 main solution to this problem is australian white australian people need to stop being so racist but if we you know like uh, passing that like you know it's like you're asking if, if you really aren't like if you really believe yourself not to be just a racist person who would never accept these groups into your, you know, in inverted commas, your society. And you are saying this is a problem that can be addressed and solved, right? And you see the reality of the problem, which is much, much smaller than what you might think, right? If, if that all being said, right, you're asking sort of like people to come up against this wall to solve this problem. And that wall is racism. And, and then yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. if it, you're asking people like break through this brick wall, you know, like you on behalf of some very small amount of people within your community, break through this brick wall and become a part of our culture. But the wall is what you built with your racism. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. know if it's yeah. like, it's, 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 it's mad. Like, and I'd really love to obviously talk to, you know, people within these communities who like have a much better understanding than we do, especially South Sudanese in, with this issue. But sure. that's my kind of like, that's my kind of uh, what I'm taking from it anyway. You know, I don't know if I have much wrap up thoughts. I mean, like, I, I think that I think that we like we'll probably end up doing some sort of a follow up episode to this. I think um, it's important, yeah, being yeah, a bonus so episode of um, 
we're going to try and speak to some people, um, maybe speak to Cole, Rachel's mum. Absolutely, yeah. I was going to um, say thanks so much to Cole for Colleen. For yes, his, yes, um, of course. Yeah. Huge shout out to Cole, yes. the legend that Rachel's yeah, big up right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, really? <laughs> but yes, oh, big, during big the episode. Up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, okay. much love to Cole. <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate uh, your uh, your. Um, your testimony. Input. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Love you, mum. Um, <laughs> um, do you have any? Do, do, does anyone it. have any any final any final things to say before we start doing the wrap ups? Uh, uh, no, uh, I just think I just think that yeah, this whole thing's a real shame, <laughs> which I think yeah. is something I say at the yeah. end of yeah. every single episode. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is a shame, yeah. and as well. most things are, because I think that yeah, like you know, anyone that knows anybody Sudanese. As is the case with just about any ethnicity, most people are really, really nice and really clever, very driven, and have just been like put upon in this like very frustrating way that I don't know. Yeah. For me, at least, goes at odds against like every Sudanese person that I've ever spent any time with has always been yeah, like, yeah, a fucking legend. And yeah, I don't know. It's like it was, I remember at the time it was so frustrating watching all of these people that I knew be painted this way and looking at it again like in, during the research for this it was like the same thing just going yeah like, absolutely so yeah exactly like, yeah, pissed yeah. Off at how how we responded to this i feel like it's just white people again absolutely dictating yeah. people of colors narratives <laughs> yeah 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 like, absolutely we, we have turned it into an art form let it that's white. Just yeah let, yeah let, no, it's so frustrating absolutely yeah. I really, I really think as well, you know, considering that, like, uh, you know, like, I don't know, like, considering that, like, um, th- I feel like this episode would, like, basically, if you have any kind of ideas or things that we did, like, in this episode that you're not super happy with or feel like that we've, uh, we've misunderstood something, you know, when it comes to, like, the, the, or like the communities we're talking about, like please email us at uh, opheadspodcast at gmail.com. We really want, and in general, just in terms of it, even stuff about like you don't think that the experiment we're doing is working <laughs> or yeah. it is working or you have some notes or corrections, always, always let us know because we, we want to be wrong. Yeah, But we exactly. have, we're not, we're not getting much um to tell us that we are wrong. So maybe we're just right. Maybe we're always right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, no, no, no. Um uh as always, uh you can follow us on Instagram at Opheads Podcast and where uh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, sorry. At uh, cowardspace.com slash opheads. <laughs> Our episode sources are all there to read so you can uh see what we're talking about and where we get things from and and i really recommend the documentary i watched and also the book is is good too it's really cool there's a lot of stuff i didn't include because it's just really interesting stories i can't really contextualize into research but i really recommend reading that book because it's there's a lot of great stories within that um yeah anything else to note um, I think, like anything with the Immigration Museum in Victoria, it was very insightful. Yeah, it's worth going to if you can. Very, very interesting. I feel like if you're in Victoria at the moment, pay it a visit. It's, you know, opens a lot of eyes to a lot of different experiences. Yes. All right, yes. well. Um, you can follow Mui at uh, – go to my website, cowardspace.com, or I'm on Instagram at – cowardspace.com also also now i'm i'm one everyone 
if you uh more interested in the writing side and not my sort of scribbling uh i'm trying to be a more professional author on facebook so you can follow me on facebook coward huntington and please do because i'm trying to be very professional there and <laughs> i have I, my algorithms all fucked up because i i neglected it for a long time so that that's what i would love you to do if you don't mind mm-hmm and if you want to follow a fabulous magazine that is all about celebrating and spotlighting diversity, you should give Pockmag a follow on Instagram. It's P-O-C-C Mag. It's great. And why wouldn't you? Exactly. Yes. yes. And, um, uh, yeah, you can find me on all of those things uh, if you really look for it. Um, and I think uh, if you want to follow uh, six six underscore records on Instagram, um, yeah, yeah, for some uh, cool Sudanese uh, Western suburbs of Melbourne rap music, I can give them a follow because they are producing some very cool shit. Yes, and, and yeah, and, follow uh, me on TikTok, of course, of course. Follow how do me we on follow TikTok. your mum, Zeb? I want to know. Uh, I want to congratulate her on her promotion. If you go on to the uh, community... <laughs> no, I probably shouldn't. <laughs> Dox my mum's workplace. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> if you look for a particular set of flats in a particular suburb of, <laughs> of <laughs> Melbourne, you may find a particular centre where you may see a particularly short woman who is my mother. <laughs> oh, I miss your mum so much. Yeah. Love but, um, you, Bernice. <laughs> yes, yes. Shout out to mum. Hello, mum. Yes, uh, Shout out to all of our mums. I hope that mum yes, can Rachel, hear my voice despite Rachel, how Rachel, Bernice, <laughs> Colleen. Wonderful. Yes. Hello, everyone. Yes. Hello, Rachel. Hello, Rachel. All three yes, out hello. Of two, two out of three don't <laughs> listen to the show, but maybe it'll just be one out of three. I don't actually know if my mum. Maybe she does. I'm not sure. I'm sure yeah. she listens to the first ten minutes. So, Mum yeah. reckons she's too old to be able to understand, hear my voice through headphones because <laughs> oh, <laughs> my voice is deep and she thinks it's an age thing that she can't hear it most of the time yeah. but also a little <laughs> bit of listener feedback if you cannot hear my voice please let us know <laughs> I, well, I like to cut out I you li- have a very lovely radio I voice I do have a lovely radio voice just not for those over 60 yes. yes it's like the mosquito it's the opposite of the mosquito ringtone yeah 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 that's what I was thinking of straight away Mosquito ringtone. I need to go to bed. I'm so tired. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, Rachel. Good night, Seb. Good night, guys. Love you both. See you later, guys. Love you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Oh, actually, let us know if if you did perchance do any research, if you did hit pause and do any research. I'd be interested to see um, uh, what you came up with that was different from what we came up with. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Hello, uh, this is uh, Zeb at the end of the edit, and I just felt like it was important to reiterate that obviously uh, none of us are Sudanese or South Sudanese, and so we can only, you know, kind of delve into this as much as we can as uh, complete outsiders to this community. So I would very highly recommend uh, going through the show notes, particularly cowards and uh reading uh, some of the sources, watching some of the sources that uh, he's cited uh, to get a fuller understanding of everything that's going on. And I hope that we have done everything as respectfully as we possibly can. Thank you.